there was a bear. My sons and their friend Ethan Woods had attempted to sleep on our back deck one night. Now, they were in middle school, and when they'd made this decision, we're going to sleep outside tonight on the back deck, it's a nice night, it's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it'd be so cool to sleep outside. I told them, I said, that's okay, but at a certain time, I lock all my doors. And I wasn't joking, I lock all my doors. I don't care if you're still outside, I'll see you tomorrow morning if you're still there, if you're still alive. And I'm serious about that. And they knew I was serious about that. But our home backs up to Silver Creek and Minrich Farms. Some of you know that area. And at night, you can very clearly hear all kinds of wildlife. Sometimes we just go outside to listen to it. It's amazing. Coyotes, deer moving around, foxes, owls. We saw an owl the other morning. We got up in the yard next to us. There was an owl sitting there. There's all kinds of wildlife around our house, and you can very clearly hear it at night. And so I knew what was going to happen, and I gave them some time outside on our back deck to settle in, and then few hours later, I went to lock the doors, and you know what had already happened. They were already inside. They were nowhere to be found. Now, I made sure they hadn't snuck off somewhere and that they were actually in the house, but they had already come in. And so the next morning, I asked them, why did you come in? And then the mysterious story that, that, that articulated, well, there was a sound, and then that one sound gained momentum in their minds, and all of a sudden, there was another unknown, mysterious sound, something moving, something fell, until they were absolutely convinced that there was a bear in our backyard. And not just there was a bear in the backyard, but it was moving through our backyard, coming to maul them to death. And so then they decided, well, it's time to go inside. And so I asked them, did you see a bear? See anything that looked like a bear? No, but it was out there. Well, you could just tell. Yesterday, I, I texted Titus, my oldest son. I said, do you remember when you tried to sleep outside and then said there was a, a bear out there? And his only response in the text was, there was. <laughs> he still believes that there was a bear marching through our backyard, coming to destroy him. But we all do this when we're in darkness, right? We convince ourselves of the worst possible danger that is out there to destroy us. When we're kids and at night in our bed, we convince ourselves there are monsters in the closet or under the bed. And there are times when we wake up at night and our house is dark and we hear something and we're absolutely convinced that there's someone in our house with a weapon coming to kill us. But our blanket kind of protects us if we just pull it up over our head and forget about it. We convince ourselves in the darkness of the worst possible danger that is out there. And that's what's going on in the church of Colossae. This church started, we said last week, out of a movement from Ephesus that we read about in 
Acts chapter 19, the gospel takes hold in Ephesus. It eventually moves to Colossae, and a church is planted there. And it's planted among all kinds of dark spirituality and mysticism. The believers uh, in Colossae had been influenced by this spiritualism all around them. That there are dark forces, that there are good forces in this spiritual realm that there are angels, that there are demons, and they represent this ladder of wisdom, this ladder of spirituality. You worship this angel, and you kind of move up this ladder of spirituality closer to God through prayer and worship. And even after the gospel had come to the Colossians, Even after the gospel had taken root in this area and there were believers who were worshiping Christ, their old way of thinking about spirituality began to influence the church. The darkness, what is out there, the way they imagined the spiritual realm began to influence the church. And many Jews just sort of inserted the law in place of this ladder of spirituality. And the law was represented by these angelic forces. But it, but it was a mystery to many of them. And it led to uncertainty about their salvation. It led to uncertainty about who they are in Christ. And their pastor, Epaphras, he travels to the Apostle Paul. He needs counsel. He needs to be discipled and mentored uh, as, as a preacher of the gospel, how to move his people through this controversy, through the influence of this spiritualism. What do I do, Paul? And he shows up at a jail. Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he probably said to Paul, can you believe these people still believe that in the darkness, the spiritual realm, What's out there? Things we can't see. Can you believe, Paul, that they think there are forces out to get them? And Paul would have said, there is. There are. There is a spiritual realm darker than you could ever imagine. And there are forces of darkness led by the evil one who is Satan who want to destroy your life and their life. The darkness is worse than you could ever imagine. And it's all around us. But the point of Colossians is the light that has come to the darkness is greater than anything you could imagine. If the darkness is worse than anything you could conjure in your mind, you have to believe the light in the supremacy of Christ is greater than even that. And Paul says, that's the good news of the gospel. And you must teach and preach this message of the supremacy of Christ in all things, including the darkness. We saw last week that this truth that Jesus is supreme, it leads to faith, love, hope, and holiness. And it it produces perseverance and joy, even in the face of darkness, sin, and death. And when we get down to verse 12, one of the ways that we cultivate faith One of the ways that we cultivate perseverance and joy is we thank God for the gospel. Notice as verse 12, when we get to verse 12, he says we are giving thanksgiving to God 
who qualified us. Now remember last week we said that word qualified. It means to make sufficient. And he's summarizing what happens when we believe in Christ for salvation. He's summarizing there in that word qualify justification by faith which is the heart of what we believe as Christians. That though we are sinners, when we believe in Jesus who is perfect and lived a perfect life, that though we have fallen short of his glory, when we trust in his cross, we are forgiven of our sin and then we are granted his perfect life in our place. And that qualifies us to share in the inheritance. That qualifies us for heaven When you believe in Jesus' death and life in your place, you are credited with forgiveness. It is as though you've never sinned, but you're also credited with Jesus' obedience. It is as though you've always obeyed. And so if you're a Christian here today and you are hoping in Jesus, that that has qualified you for heaven before the Father who says you have never sinned and you've always obeyed in Christ because Christ never sinned and always obeyed. That's what qualifies us for this hope of heaven. And Paul would say the way you cultivate joy is you remind yourself of that. You thank God for that constantly. And then in verses 13 and 14, he he kind of expands on what has happened when we have been qualified for heaven. We are to thank God for the gospel. And part of that is to thank the Father that we can see Jesus now. Notice verse 13. In qualifying us for heaven through Christ, notice verse 13, he, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. One of the things we've talked about over the last several weeks is when we believe in Jesus, the perfect Son of God, and we are found in him, his Father becomes our Father. God, the Father, becomes your Father in Christ. And what has he done for you? Notice, has delivered. Now this word deliver, it means to draw out. It means to snatch, rescue, save. It is an intense word. And it refers to what has happened to you if you are a Christian. God rescued you. You didn't save yourself. You couldn't save yourself from your sin. You were dead in your sin. And you deserved hell. And you couldn't do anything about it. You couldn't figure it out. And so what happened in your life, whether you realized it or not, is the Father snatched you. He rescued you. He delivered you. He saved you. That is what God did for you in the gospel. When he made you sufficient in Christ. And we thank him for it. You want joy in your life? Constantly remember you were delivered by the Father. Notice he says, from the domain of darkness. Now that word domain refers to a rule or sphere. And then he qualifies it here, sphere, domain, rule of darkness. Now in Colossians, the word darkness means the absence of God. Specifically, the absence of God's rule. We could characterize God's rule as light. When we realize God is ruling, God is king, God is authority, we see this in Genesis, the very 
first part of the Bible, when we understand he's the one who calls the shots, what does it lead to? Life, goodness, enjoying the presence of God. There is light in that. It makes sense to say God is king. But darkness is the absence of all of that. It is to say God's not king. And this is the darkness that we see in Genesis that Satan brought into the world. When Satan deceived Eve, when Adam believed the words of his wife instead of the words of God, what we see is Adam acting in darkness. He is acting as if God's not in charge. Satan deceives and, and, and blinds us to the, to the fact that God is king and God is ruling. And we act as if though he's not supreme. And what does that lead to? Sin, guilt, death. And that's what Adam chose in our place. He chose the darkness over the light. And so now we live in this darkness because God has withdrawn to some extent his authority, his presence from us. And it's hard for us to see in this world cursed with sin and death. No, God is still in charge. God is still good. God is still king. God is still in control. We are blinded by the darkness that Satan brought into the world that Adam chose for us. And Satan continues to work in that way and convince us that God isn't king. The forces of darkness are real. And they try to convince us that God's not king, you're king. Do what you want. And you experience darkness in your life when you live as though you're king. You experience that blindness that has been brought into the world, the domain of darkness. You choose to live in that sphere when you say, what God says doesn't matter. It's just another one of the opinions in my life. What God says doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you give in to the impulses. I've got to get all the pleasure that I can right now. I've got to assert myself and and obtain all the power that I can right now. You are living in darkness when you live that way because you're acting as if God is not in control. God is not king. God is not supreme. That is darkness in your life. You may try to convince yourself that there's freedom in that, but there's bondage in that. You don't even see what you're doing. You're so blinded by the darkness. It is to say, God's not king, I am. So how does the Father rescue us from such darkness? How does the Father snatch us away from the domain of darkness? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he describes what happens when we are rescued. He refers to the unbeliever and he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever, those who are not in Christ, who don't see Jesus as king, To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. What does that mean? The unbeliever is blinded from the reality that Jesus is king. The light, the truth, what is real, Jesus is supreme. The unbeliever is blinded from that. That that is at the heart of why they act and do what they do. 
And we, when we were unbelievers, that is at the heart. That was our mission. I'm king. Jesus isn't king. They're blinded to this truth. And Paul says that's why we preach the gospel. And then he gets down to verse 6 in 2 Corinthians 4. And he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. The same way God created all things. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you're living in the domain of darkness. And all you can see is yourself. It is as though your world is this massive cavern. And all you have is the light of your phone in your face. And what do you see in that phone? Your face. (laughs) Staring back at you. And this is the way that you live. I'm the only one who really matters. My desires, my light, my face, it's all about me. And if there's anything out there, it must serve me. And this is the way we live our life. Until God lights your place up and shines into your world and you see beyond yourself and you see a world that you didn't create. Who created that world? Jesus. And you see a cosmic king who is Jesus who is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God, and you see that God is good, and he is better than you at being king, and you see the reality that he is exalted in heaven, and you see Jesus as supreme. That's how God rescues you from yourself, is he makes it very, very clear in your life, you're not king. Jesus is king. You can't save yourself, and you can't live for yourself. Jesus is king, and you must live for him. That's what happens in our heart when the Father delivers us. And so, how do we cultivate joy in our life? We constantly thank the Father that once I was lost, but now I am found. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in my dad's welding shop and everything that I was doing in my life was about me at that time I wanted more money I wanted to have this group of people like me and this is what I'm going to do with my life and I remember sitting there and it was as if the day stopped and it was as though being blind I could now see And my heart said, no, if Jesus is king, you cannot live for yourself any longer. And I remember saying to myself, if this is true, if Jesus is king and the gospel is real, I'm going to give my life over to this no matter what. What else would matter? Whatever I'm going to do in my life. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor at that time, but Jesus is king and I'm going to give my life over to that. That is the light of the gospel blasting forth in our life. And I wonder how it happened for you. Think about how that happened for you if you're a Christian here today. Some of you, you were in the darkness of destruction and all you cared about was yourself, serving yourself, making sure everybody around you served you. And when you didn't get your way, it was always someone else's fault and you ruined friendships. And then all of a sudden you realized, I'm not Jesus 
and you repented of your sin and you made Jesus supreme in your life. There were some of you who you got everything you wanted. You went to the school you wanted to. You got the job you wanted, the spouse you wanted, and you realized it didn't satisfy because it was about you. And then you realize, no, this is about Jesus, and you turn from your sin. And God opened your eyes, and you saw Jesus is king. You're not king. Some of you were living a meaningless life in your hobbies and your career and your weekend trips. They just would not satisfy you because they're not Jesus. And they weren't about Jesus. And you realized that and you turned from those things and you said, Jesus is supreme. No matter what it costs me, I'm giving my life to him. That is the light of the gospel. That is the Father delivering you from the domain of darkness. Some of you depressed yourself because you chased after pleasure weekend after weekend after weekend and the drink and the drug and the night out with the friends did not satisfy you. Why? It was about you in rebellion to Jesus. And you realize that, and you turn from those things, and you turn to Christ. How did it happen for you? Some of you are just another Southern Baptist little religious twit. And you had all the wanna badges. And it was about you. And you realize, no, this has got to be about Jesus. And you turn from that, and you turn to him. Whatever route it took for you, it is the Father who delivered you. And you find joy in recounting that and reliving that and reminding yourself that if it were not for the Father, you would still be in darkness. You would still be in darkness. But he showed you Jesus is supreme. And what happened, notice, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The word transferred here, it means to convey, it means to change kingdoms, and so when you were delivered, you were delivered from the kingdom of darkness, and you were placed into the realm of God's kingdom. We've talked about the kingdom of God is this. It is the sphere of God's authority. Wherever God is present, he is king, and you can refer to that as God's kingdom, his power, but notice he qualifies it here by saying his beloved son, the son he loves. So you have gone from the realm of darkness to the kingdom of God's dearly loved son. Now the image here of what's happened when you became a Christian is the same image of a people who are conquered by a king. Their living and their allegiance is to one king. And this other king comes in with his army, with his people, with his power, and he overtakes that kingdom. And now those people and everything that they own are this new kings. And that's what happened in your life. You were serving king self in the domain of darkness. And Satan convinced you that was good. And then Jesus came in and conquered that kingdom with the light of the gospel. And now everything that you are and everything that you have is his. You've been transferred to a new kingdom. And you are the citizen of a new kingdom. But notice this phrase, beloved son. This refers to God's promises to Jesus. It is a kingdom that comes with a promise to the son. Remember at Jesus' baptism, he goes down to be baptized by his cousin John the Baptist down by the river. 
And he walks into the river, and John baptizes them. And when he comes up out of the water, what happens? There is a voice from heaven. And what does the Father say to everyone who can hear? Behold, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, God's not saying, there's my boy. No, what he is saying in that moment is, this is my son. This is, because he's my son, the heir to all things. He is my son, and he deserves all things. He deserves the kingdom. What the father is saying is this is the heir to the kingdom in the river Jordan. He is saying to him, he's making a promise to him, I will give this one my kingdom. And the spirit comes down and rests upon him. That is the presence of the kingdom. Then we see the kingdom in Jesus' life as he heals the sick, casts out demons, reverses natural disaster and disorder. We see there is the king, and that's what his kingdom's going to look like. No sin, no death, no chaos. There's the king resting upon, there's the kingdom resting upon the king. One of the things that Jesus does by the power of the Spirit is he casts out demons. Now, why is that important? Because God is saying to us, this king is even in control of the darkness that you don't see. This is the kingdom that is coming. This is the kingdom that has been promised to Jesus. And then the son proves his right to the kingdom. He obeys the father. He dies on the cross. He is resurrected. We believe that he is at the right hand of God right now waiting to receive his kingdom. And there is a day coming where the Father will turn and give this kingdom that he promised at his baptism by the Spirit to the Son. There is a day coming where where the Father will give everything he has promised to the Son. A world where there is no sin and death. Totally redeemed earth. And you know what's included in his inheritance that the Father will give to the Son in this kingdom? A totally redeemed people that he has purchased by his blood. And if you are in Christ, you are that inheritance that will be given to the Son by the Father. Think about that. You are God the Father's promise to the Son. And do you think God is going to go back on his promises? Do you think the Father's not going to give the Son what he said he would give him? That means that if you are in Christ, your life is wrapped up in the beloved Son. The promise to the Son from the Father. And so you know a love beyond any other love in the world. When you are, when you believe the gospel, the Spirit immerses you, unites you to this kingdom. You are in the Son. You are in Christ. And you know what the Father says to you? Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. What is he saying? I'm going to give you the kingdom also. And the Spirit rests upon us when we believe in him. This is the promised love that we are wrapped up in. And you are to remind yourself of that for the sake of joy. One of the things this world does for us is it constantly reminds us of failed loves this side of heaven. It's kind of where we live, right? We, we want to be loved. We want folks to be committed to us and not betray us. We want to know when someone tells us something that they're going to absolutely do it and we can trust them. We even struggle in fulfilling all of our commitments. 
And this side of heaven, this side of the kingdom, we live in a world of failed love. But if you are a believer, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the beloved son, and you live in a realm of God's commitment to his son. That is who you are, and that is where you live. God's not going to go back on his promise to Jesus. And so as you live in this world, and there are contracts that are broken, and you begin to realize sometimes the promises people make to you are absolutely meaningless. And you put a lot of hope and stock into your spouse to love you like you want to be loved, and they just can't do it. And you realize even the love in marriage, it is lacking. And some of you have scars from parents who did not love you, and you still haven't found that friend group to love you, and you're looking for a spouse to love you. And it seems as though you live in this state of darkness and hopelessness where there is no love. Oh, but if you're a Christian, you can believe today that there is a stronger love in Jesus because the Father will not go back on his promise, his covenant to his Son. He's going to give him you if you are in Christ. He's going to give him the church He's going to give him the kingdom. And so you live there, and that is where you find joy in this world of failed loves. The Father loves the Son, and he loves you in the Son, and he will not fail you. But notice verse 14. And so we thank the Father who has delivered us. We thank the Father for his love in Christ, his promised love. And then we thank the Father for our redemption in Christ. Notice verse 14. Referring to Christ here, the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we have redemption. This word, look at it, redemption, it means to purchase back. If you are in Christ, you have been purchased. You have been redeemed by the Father in Christ. And notice, he even elaborates on that for the forgiveness of sin. The word forgiveness means to be released It means to be sent away. And if you are in Christ today, you have been redeemed and you have been sent away from what? From the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the possession of sin in your life. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ and you have been sent away from those things. It is the imagery of a slave who has been purchased from a system or a master and he is released and he owes that master nothing from now on. And in Christ, you have been purchased from your sin. You don't owe your sin anything. You don't owe anyone anything for your sin. You have been redeemed. You have been released from that penalty. You have been released from that guilt. And you are free from the penalty of death. If you are no longer guilty in Christ, you no longer deserve the punishment of death and hell for your sin. You are free in Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been sent away in Christ. This is why we talk about the blood of Christ. Sometimes we think about the blood of Christ and there's some sort of mysterious, superficial, supernatural, supernatural power in the actual blood of Christ. All the blood of Christ is, is the receipt of your payment. Jesus is alive and well at the right hand of God, but he shed his blood, his life for you. 
And you are marked by that receipt on your life that the penalty has been paid and you are free. You're no longer a slave. I want to be very clear, very briefly. We have to avoid the heresy that Jesus paid Satan for your freedom. He did not pay Satan for anything. He doesn't owe Satan anything. God allows Satan to rule as a part of judgment for our sin. He allows us and curses that we would live under that judgment for some time. But at the cross, Jesus endures the wrath of God to satisfy God. In the throne room of heaven, Jesus offers his blood to the Father as payment for our sin. He's not offering Satan anything, nothing. And when the penalty has been paid, God releases us from the judgment of Satan's rule. He's not paying Satan anything. But we are to cultivate joy by remembering we've been redeemed and forgiven. You know, there's misery to continue to live in the bondage of sin and death, to continue to live in guilt. It, it is as though the chains have been broken, the door has been opened on the prison cell, and you, you don't even realize it. And you still live in bondage and chains. You put them back on your hands. No, I'm, I'm supposed to be in bondage. Give me those chains back. Close that door. And that's the way we live. When we, when we forget that we have been freed, when we don't embrace the redemption and thank the Father for redemption in Christ and forgiveness, we've been, a, we've been sent away from that jail cell. I, can, I compare it to the kind of the invisible fences that people put up for their dogs around their yard. My neighbors put those up, and for a time, you'll see little flags out in their yard, and there's, there's electricity, I guess, that runs through those, uh, that perimeter, and the, for a while there, walking down the neighborhood, and the dog runs out like it's going to destroy you, and then all of a sudden, then they stop, and that takes maybe a few weeks, and then they don't come past the perimeter. You know what you can do if you have a perimeter for your dog? You can turn that off sometimes. And they won't run past it. They don't even realize it's not on because they've trained themselves to stay in the perimeter. And some of you are like that with your sin. You think you can't go outside the perimeter even though you've been freed from your sin. You've trained yourself. Your sin, your bondage, I'm supposed to feel horrible and guilty and I'm supposed to just live here in misery and you don't know that the chains have been broken, the fence is turned off and you can run free from guilt and bondage but you live there. That's miserable. And some of you are doing it with your self-righteousness. You're acting like a slave. That's why you're here today. It's because you think you're still paying God back for something you did. You think you're still paying God back. No, remember when I used to live this way? I got to go to church today. Remember when I did that thing? I got to serve coffee today. Remember when I did that? I got to make sure I get to BFG today. I got to go to the campus ministry this week. I got to lead this Bible study. I got to do this. I got to go on this mission trip. And you're trying to pay God back. The fence is turned off. The chains are broken. You don't owe God anything. You couldn't pay him what Jesus paid him anyway. So stop trying. You're free. And, and, and how do you find the joy in that? Reminding yourself of that. 
My piddly little Bible study doesn't compare to the blood of Christ. I love the Bible because I love Jesus. I love the church because I love Jesus. But I can't pay God back. Some of you are living in that guilt and bondage today. There's always in people's lives certain sin that just defines us. And we all seem to have it. Something that we've done at some moment in time that we just can't get past. And when you come to church and someone says sin, you think about that. If you are a Christian here today, that chain has been broken. That door has been obliterated by the light of the supremacy of Christ in the gospel. Walk out. Walk away from it. Trust the freedom and redemption that is found in Christ. You've been sent away from Satan, sin, and death, and you have been sent to Christ. And by the way, you don't have to convince yourself that there's something in the darkness that's out for you. Because some of you are hearing the voices of darkness today. They're saying to you, you're not enough. They're saying to you, you're still guilty. And, and, and the thing about the darkness, the scary thing about the darkness, is what's out there really should scare us. But what should scare us even more is the darkness that blinds us to the fact that Jesus is out there. And he has defeated the forces of darkness. And if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven, you've been delivered. You believe in him, he's your king, and he possesses you. Walk away. Walk to Jesus. Maybe he's out in the darkness, the darkness of the life that you're enduring right now. But he's there. Don't imagine he's not.